Over 26 million people in the United States live with asthma. In 2020, there were 980,000 emergency department visits and 94,000 hospital inpatient stays due to asthma in the United States. Asthma-related costs in the U.S. are significant, with an estimated annual expenditure of about $80 billion. Today, we talk about Keva Health, a company formed when the founder's daughter was diagnosed with asthma at the age of three. Keva Health is a pioneering company that provides solutions to assist with monitoring and improving health outcomes for asthma patients by offering real-time feedback, enabling them to monitor their condition closely. Join me today as we talk to Joyce Na, the founder of Keva Health. Joyce Na is an accomplished professional bringing over 20 years of combined experience in academia, regulatory affairs, and the pharma industry. This episode is brought to you by Mesh AI. Mesh AI is a scheduling software for healthcare workers, including medical students, residents, physicians, and nurses. It alleviates administrative burden by leveraging AI algorithms for scheduling shifts. Mesh AI automates the creation of equitable schedules, efficiently assigns the most suitable staff for each shift, and facilitate easy shift training among healthcare professionals. Mesh AI is more than just a scheduling tool. It's specifically designed to cater to the unique training requirements of each residency program. By integrating advanced features, it not only manages the schedules, but also supports the specialized training needs of healthcare professionals, ensuring that the training needs of each residency program are met. Josna, I'm so happy to have you here today. It's nice to meet you, and thank you so much for inviting me to your podcast. It's pleasure to have you. It's, I'm, I'm very honored to have you here today, and um, and I really want to talk about Keva Health and your stories. It, it's been very inspiring. I read about you. I went to the podcast. Sorry, I went to the website. I've seen what you've done. And can you tell me, like, what inspired you to create Keva Health and how your personal experience uh, shaped the company's mission. Yes, thank you. Um, so we, you know, the reason I started Keva was um, really two reasons. Um, one was um, my three-year-old daughter, um, when she was three years old, was actually diagnosed with asthma. And as parents, um, we were, we did not have anybody in our family who had a similar condition. So a lot of her care management that was given to us by the doctor was very new to us. Um, and, uh, you know, we had to uh, understand what an action plan means. We had to go close to her and understand what wheezing means and what breathlessness was. Um, so it was, um, uh, you know, it was tough as parents who did not know how to deal with such a little girl uh, having a breathing condition um, and of course, later on, as it progressed, there were times when I would have carried her in my hand uh, in the middle of the night when she had a flare up uh, because the doctor would say, um, you know, you got to go to the hospital. Uh, there's nothing much mm-hmm. I can do over the phone here. Um, and so a lot of this inspired me to think about, um, uh, you know, how patients like my daughter uh, would be suffering uh, from uh, this type of disease. 
um, and how it is difficult when in the middle of the night you can't breathe or you get up early in the morning and you know the pollen count is really high outside uh, so um, so most of you know our thinking around building something for respiratory care really came from this patient's story um uh, and of course as we uh, progressed uh, a lot of my career so this was the second reason is that my career um i had spent um uh, i'm a pharmacist by training uh, and i spent about 20 25 years in the area of health economics and outcomes research um mm-hmm. and so what was important for me was um and what i did in my career was to design real world studies to look at data and to help uh, reduce economic burden for a specific disease as a result of uh, bringing drugs into the market um and so it was very important for me to think of um, you know digital health um as a very similar uh, almost like a prescription for drugs um so just like you have a prescription for drugs you have a prescription for digital health um and i saw that future coming um and so it was very important for me to combine uh, those interests um the work that i had done in that space uh combined with uh, my daughter's story um and of course my interest in digital health um um and and that's that's how keva came into being it's very interesting most of my guests have a personal story actually i i can't recall a guest who went to the health tech space without a personal story i believe like personal stories are the best motivators yes yes i couldn't agree enough <laughs> Um can you tell me more more about the technology behind uh, Keva's health solution um particularly how do you use uh, data and real time feedback to improve asthma management Yes absolutely and um uh, and I'll clarify one more thing um so we started our case study or our use case uh, with asthma uh but because we have a very generic engine slash platform that we've developed we are able to expand it into many different respiratory diseases mm-hmm, so this mm-hmm. includes copd pulmonary fibrosis cystic fibrosis bronchiitis and so on and so our goal here is to go deep into the vertical for respiratory care um and identify uh disease management approaches for each of these disease areas um and then our generic engine is able to customize uh the disease management plan for each condition uh as well as combine it with what we uh describe as remote patient monitoring or remote therapeutic monitoring so remote patient monitoring and titling physiologic monitoring which is through devices and so we bring in data from these devices that the patients are using into our platform uh, and that allows uh, our care team to look at the data uh, and mm-hmm, to predict mm-hmm. uh, if somebody is uh, you know getting an exacerbation getting a flare up so the whole concept is to use the engine and design it customize it for these different disease areas um, and then make sure that we are looking at this data on a daily basis to see who is not doing well who is doing well and who is in a likelihood of getting uh, or becoming worse so that we mm-hmm. avoid the patient from going to the er 
Yeah, I can't agree more because like when it comes to obstructive lung diseases, not asthma, like you said, like I did my internal medicine residency and I spent four years in the emergency admitting patients with COPD or asthma exacerbation to the ward. And it just like happens. It's just like your muscle becomes so, your airways suddenly contract and they can't relax. And there are triggers that you can avoid to prevent this from happening. And as we saw in the introduction, like uh, the costs of, of not avoiding, actually, the cost of not avoiding the exacerbating factors and going to the emergency, it costs the healthcare system a lot. Yes, absolutely. I couldn't agree enough. And so our goal here at Keva is to, um, you know, uh, prevent, uh, even if we prevent one ER visit from happening, we are looking at savings of, you know, between uh, five to $15,000, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if our program cost was $1,000 a year, uh, we are, even if we save one ER visit, uh, we have tremendous opportunity um, to, for these patients uh, you know, to reduce the economic burden and to not avoid these unnecessary hospitalizations. Um, readmission rate, uh, as you may know from your experience, for COPD is at 20%. Yeah, it's very high. I, I, I know there are some patients get admitted again and again. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I think our goal is obviously to provide a solution. And again, you know, we are the disease management piece, right? We are not doing it entirely, but we are uh, trying to change the concept of episodic management of disease to continuous management of that disease. Mm -hmm. um, and that only comes when the patient leaves the doctor's office, comes home, and their next visit is, you know, three months down the road. But what mm -hmm. really happened in those three months is what we want to capture at Keva. Gotcha. Take me through the patient's journey. Let's say I'm a patient and I hear about this app uh, and I downloaded it. So like, which app stores is it available? I downloaded it. What should I do next? Should I pay for it or not? Like, take me through the patient journey. Absolutely. Um, so we are actually um, using the concepts of, uh, you know, remote patient monitoring, remote therapeutic monitoring, and these have been built in uh, to our platform. Mm -hmm. And so the way those uh, codes work is uh, for billing um, is that when a patient visits the office, we work with the physician provider. So we are, you know, typically signing a contract with the physician provider or with the hospital or with the healthcare gotcha. system. And as part of that, uh, when the patient, so when you visit your doctor for a visit and if the doctor thinks that you should be on the Kiva program based on your severity, based on your comorbidities. Um, they will ask you a couple of questions. Uh, they will offer the program to you. So it's almost as if you're getting, you know, as you get a prescription for your drug, gotcha. you're getting a prescription for a digital program. Mm -hmm. uh, so once uh, uh, the patient knows more about it, you will be given a brochure. You can ask the front desk to give you more information. Um, and if you consent to the program and say, you know, this sounds like a great program for me, I would like to join it, uh, that's when you are officially onboarded on the program. So your, your initial prescription for this program, if you may, happens at the doctor's office. Once mm -hmm. the doctor and the patient agrees, uh, the office or the hospital or whoever we are working with will inform us either through our platform 
uh, or through a message letting us know that this patient has now joined into the program. And from then on, we essentially take care of that patient. So we will ask them to then download the app. Um, we provide the username, password. They can set it up. Uh, we onboard them on the platform. We send them devices through mail. Um, we set up an onboarding 45-minute call to introduce them to the program. Um, and it's a simple video call. So all of it is done remotely. We are not even present at these offices. Um, we just need to know that these are the patients that can be uh, participating in the program. And then from then on, uh, our care team essentially onboards the patient. Uh, we do a 45-minute video call. And then the patient then learns how to use the program, how to operate the devices. We have two-way messaging. We have a support system. So they can let us know if there is any question or issues that they have. Um, and we work with the provider's office and bill on a monthly basis. Because a lot of this is not a one-time approach, right? When you go to the doctor, you get your, uh, you let the doctor know what disease you have, and the doctor takes care of you. You pay for that service, your copay, and then you leave the office. Here, we are continuously monitoring the patient from the time they join the program. Mm -hmm. So we also, mm -hmm. so what we do is, uh, is referred to as a monthly program in a way, because every thirty days. We check how the patient is doing. We send a report after every 30 days to the doctor as well as to the patient. So they know exactly, you know, what their readings are, how they are doing. Um, and they can communicate with us as well because we are sort of their extended care team, so to speak. Um, and then we also communicate with the office as well as the billing provider to make sure that uh, they're able to bill for the codes that the patient um, satisfies. Are there any medical devices that are also associated with the software? Like, uh, like is there an uh, oximeter or like a puffer or or like uh, bedside like or point of care like small spirometer? Yes, absolutely. So right now we do uh, we are device agnostic, so we are able to work with uh, different types of device companies and bring in whatever is useful to the you know hospital or healthcare system we work with. Uh, but typically, most often for patients who have COPD, asthma, uh, the spirometers are very useful. Um, and they offer uh, a complete spirometry session, including lung function loops, plotting mm -hmm. the FEV1s, uh, and all the different parameters of lung function. They get recorded with each session that the patient performs at home. And all of those 15 parameters are available for our care team as well as the doctor to review. Um, we also do the oximetry readings. So that includes O2SAT, heart rate, you know, whatever is available through the oximeter. And these are all either Bluetooth connected devices or in the case of oximeter, it can also be 4G, 5G connected, which mm -hmm. means they don't even need to have the app. They can mm -hmm. directly take their reading the reading transmits into our platform and we can monitor that patient. Gotcha. Okay. And um, so you mentioned that you are device agnostic. So the, the main service that you provide is the software. Is that correct? So, like, is that the case? Uh, so yes, we are a health tech platform company. So we are providing access to the platform. The platform has integrated with these devices 
for them mm-hmm. to work right so if our, if the device is not integrated with the platform uh, then the patient cannot use that device and transmit the data so it's very important that the devices are integrated with the platform and the app that we have designed for each specific disease uh, is also connected to the platform gotcha and if things start going south let's say like i'm a patient and there are some um, alarming things on my test, whether it's uh, blood oxygen or it's, uh, it's the spirometer, uh, what happens? Who gets notified? So that's a great question. So typically we have a, sort of a care team approach um, and it can be done either way, depending on you know what the provider is looking for. Uh, but what has successfully worked for us is um, um, you know an approach where we have alerts and escalations that are set up automatically in our system. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have the care team looking at this data, but also it generates those alerts automatically. So when somebody's lung function is going downhill over three days, uh, or let's say they themselves have entered that they are not feeling good, or they're so- showing a sign of deterioration or some sort of you know um, feeling that uh, they have breathlessness or any kind of symptoms uh, that make them f- not feel good, then they can enter the app and they can check in into the app and kind of let us know how they are feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this happens on a daily basis, right? But obviously you may not be checking the app all the time or you might be traveling or something. So when we get these messages, we are continuously tracking them along with the readings that the patient is taking. So when we look at the combination of the two and we feel this patient is not doing well, um, we have a protocol that we work with each office that we work with. Mm -hmm. And that protocol might say, you know, and every doctor is, you know, practice is different. So they might say that if somebody tells there's a red alert or they're not feeling good at all, uh, then I want to know right away. Or if somebody has a yellow check-in, which means, you know, they have symptoms, um, they've done their device readings, device readings are low. And so we need to call them. So we work with the office to decide what that protocol is that they are comfortable with. Um, Typically, when we have red check-ins, it means they have to call 911. And so in that case, um, we get the alert and we typically call the office. Uh, We let them know as soon as possible. Um, And the patient typically, depending on what their condition is, they might call 911 or go to the hospital if they have to if obviously they are very severe, but if they are, you know, if they, if it's a regular day and they can call the doctor and speak, then that, you know, makes it very advantageous for them Uh, Mm -hmm. because the doctor, you know, talking to the doctor when they're not feeling well is, is a big relief for them. But there are times when they are not doing well and it's very hard for them to pick up the phone, you know, connect with the doctor. They might be at the receptionist. It's a busy office. So things like that. And that's where some of our work is useful because then we are sort of that channel that helps the patients, you know, get access to the doctor quickly. Um, And any alerts that come from the Keva team are considered as high priority. So they get, uh, you know, or we will be, we always connect to the EMR as well. So we can put in a task for the doctor as well. So they are busy uh, with other patients but they can review their task at the end of the day, during the day. So we've created these alerts that are either, you know, very severe, alerts that are somewhat severe, meaning, you know, 
the patient is doing okay, but for the past three days, they've just not been doing well. And then there are patients who obviously who are doing well, you know, who are green, who are doing well, then they don't need to worry. Mm-hmm. Um, so depending on how your condition is, um, we decide if our care team wants to call them, right? And say, hello, how are you doing? We're seeing a decline or we saw your SPO2, you know, hitting 94. Um, so is everything okay? Would you like us to call the doctor? Things like that. So we are already checking with them as to how they are doing. And then the second level of care comes when we let the office know that, you know, we have an alert in the system. So an alert is different from escalation, right? Uh, An alert is when we are starting to see something decline. And escalation is when there is a problem. You know, there's three days where the patient is not doing well. Uh, There's a red alert in the system. The patient has indicated you know, that they are absolutely not doing well. Um, So when things like that happen, then we kind of step in, we make sure that the office knows right away as to, you know, what's happening. Sometimes we will also attach reports. So let's say they measured their SpO2 at, you know, 6 p.m. And at 7.30 p.m., we see a call uh, or a red check-in from the patient. Mm-hmm. So we know that something is going downhill. We have the latest report. The vitals are taken. So we can call the doctor, put in a message or put it in their system. Obviously, after regular hours, you know, you're obviously seeing gotcha. a, um, an on-call doctor. But instantaneously, those messages are put in so that even if it wasn't as severe, when the doctor comes back next day at 9 a.m., they see it first thing in their system. Gotcha. And when it comes to like asthma, I think you have lots of uh, people in the, like w- w- well, obstructive diseases in general, uh, asthma specifically, you have lots of young population and you also have like the old population with COPD who are smokers. How do you make sure that your patients are adherent to using um, the solution, the, 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 the app? How, how do you make sure that is there any way of ma- making sure that you can engage the patient all the time to use the app? Yes, absolutely. And I think um, when it comes to these programs, uh, you know, any kind of program that is offered at home, you know, where it is not that the doctor is right next to you saying, you know, you got to do your reading or you got to check it into the app, uh, always becomes um you know, somewhat um, the system has to be developed so that engagement and compliance mm-hmm. uh, are, you know, are good. Uh, and so what we have done is uh, we've made the app pretty engaging for the patient. Um, and the same is true for both the younger generation, you know, the kids, as well as the, you know, the older generation uh, COPD patients. Uh, so we made the app pretty simple to use. We also allow patients to set their own reminders um, when they are doing their check-in. So that's just an example, right, of how we made it easy for them. Um, So, you know, if you want to do your reading every day, maybe you want to do it right after work, after you have your cup of coffee, you want to do it at 4.30. Somebody else might want to do it at 7 a.m. because they have a job that starts at 8 a.m. So we've made it easy for them to decide how they would like to monitor themselves um, and then obviously we seek feedback from patients as well. 
But at the end of the day, um, reminders and alerts are pretty common. And so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to nudge the patient. So we have obviously three categories, as I like to call it, of patients. One who are super engaged, right? They love technology. I want to take care of my health. I want to feel better. And so there we don't have to do too much, right? Uh, exactly. Because they're already very engaged. They're already doing their work. Um, and so we love those patients. But then there are those patients who need a little nudge. Um, and, you know, oh, I forgot or, you know, I should have done this. And so we send them alerts, notifications through our app on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, we also sometimes will make calls if needed. Our goal is obviously not to push them right to a great extent because we want to slowly remind them or, you know, be nice to them, but at the same time, tell them, hey, this is very important for you. You know, you got to do this. Um, and then, of course, when they are new to the program, they are learning. And so after about a month or so, they get used to it. And then they know this is so helpful. Then they realize the benefits of it. Um, and then it becomes more easy for them. Gotcha. So that's the second category, which is the ones who need a nudge. And then you have those category, which is at the bottom, right? Where, uh, you know, it's just too slow. They are not as engaged. And, you know, they they need more reminders, more alerts. Um, so we always uh, tend to work and customize our program um, and make sure that those that are in the bottom of the list, you know, get to the middle. Um, and then those that are middle, we try to keep Here's them, up. you know, engaged as well. Gotcha. So now let's talk about the challenges in healthcare. Um, like you're a mom and you wanted to start this and kudos to you and the healthcare is very challenging. Can you talk to me? So first you had the idea. What did you do next? What was your next step? So, um, well, I worked with, uh, you know, a couple of providers who were in the space. And I also worked with our technical, uh, you know, our CTO and kind of thought through sort of the whole process, thinking mm-hmm. through, you know, what is it that's going to be useful. And we never really started off as a, you know, remote patient monitoring company uh, because obviously I had um, I had my daughter's story with me. And it was important that we focus on building an app, perhaps, right, that could help patients. So that's how we started our journey, thinking through the app. Um, And then we were at the time of COVID, you know, where everything just started happening from home. um, It it sort of struck to us that, hey, if we really want to take this forward, then we really need the whole platform approach because, you know, we need to add on things like devices and other technology that's going to be even more helpful to the patients because we could see these patients couldn't make it to the doctor's office or even if they went, uh, doctors didn't want them to come because of COVID. And so how could you now have something besides an app that could also monitor vitals that could, especially with lung function, because Spirometry is all about breathing in and out. And so when you had COVID, a lot of spirometry just stopped (laughs) because because obviously you're going to use the device, breathe in, breathe out. And so it was important for us to bring in the remote spirometry so that they could sit at home and perform these measurements uh, without having to go and get an appointment uh, with a pulmonologist. And, and so that's why our journey went from creating an app to then building the platform 
uh, and the third piece of it was our care team. Gotcha, gotcha. How did you acquire your first customer? So you built this app and then you designed the platform. So now the first customer, which is like very challenging in the healthcare. Yes, absolutely. And I couldn't um, agree enough that it's even more than challenging, uh, whatever the word for it is. Um, and little did I realize uh, that, you know, commercial model bringing a healthcare product into the market um, is not easy because you have so many different products out there um, and your ultimate customer, right, which in our case was the physician, uh, sometimes is daunted by so much out there for them. And they are still trying to do their regular day jobs and manage patients. And, you know, here we come, hey, there's something new for you. So I would have to admit uh, that that part, and, I, and it still continues to be somewhat of a challenge because adoption is really the key, right? You can keep the cost aside and you can keep the, perhaps the technology aside, but adoption to me is is very, very critical, especially when you're launching products and how is somebody accepting a product? Um, you know, what's the story? Um, how how are you going to scale the solution? So these were all questions that came into our mind. But when it came to our first customer, um, it was probably, um, we had actually hired a sales consultant. Um, gotcha. And uh, because we realized, uh, I don't think we can do this on our own. And uh, uh, of course, we had a very nice advisory team and, you know, people were willing to help us. And we had done a lovely sort of uh, excellent validation study, um, uh, working with a big healthcare center. So we had a lot of, uh, you know, um, sort of support in some ways. Um, but yet, you know, we were out there as a little company in this ocean of healthcare and trying to find, you know, who's who's going to be willing to join hands with us and collaborate and who's willing to put their trust in us, right? And all of those pieces come into play because you are new out there. And so, um, uh, so yes, it was, um, it was a lot of hard work before we, um, you know, came across. Um, and, and I think at that time, we also were very new to learning about things like lead generation and setting up databases and, um, you know, learning how to do a sales pitch, uh, because as a founder, your most of your time is invested in developing the product. And so you have to come out of that shell and talk to the customer or talk to your potential customer. Um, and then you have to keep that piece behind, right? All the hard work that went in the product has to stay apart, has to stay a bit away and you have to focus on sales. So that transition, trust me, took me some time. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes I still struggle with it because obviously you're passionate, right? As a founder yes, to yes. make sure you sell. That, that, that piece doesn't go away. But frankly speaking, when it comes to sales, it's a whole different hat that you wear. Um, and I'm still learning. But uh, all of this came together, you know, when we did... Um, when we got some in insight from the sales consultant that we got, uh, obviously I spoke to a lot of people in my network to learn. Uh, they suggested me some approaches to use. Um, but uh, but yes, it is, uh, it's extremely tough, but the good news is it happens. 
<laughs> yes, yes. I, I think realizing your weaknesses and hiring your weaknesses is the is the ultimate thing as a founder. Like you can't do everything on your own. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And I think that was also a lesson we learned is you know to be able to reach out um, to people whom you need, uh, but also you know networking, uh, learning from other stories, talking to other CEOs. Um, or maybe people in sales. I mean, I benefit, I still benefit a lot from talking to people who are either head of sales, VP of sales and bigger companies, asking them, you know, uh, what are some techniques you use? Or um, somebody taught me this magic number seven, which means um, you need seven interactions uh, from the time you start talking to a potential customer for something to actually happen. Um, and I would just, you know, I thought that, hey, I could send an email to someone and say, you know, subscribe to our program or, you know, services uh, until I realized that um, it actually takes much more than that. You know, you go through the different stages of the sales process and you convince your customer, you give them time, uh, you provide them with the information that's needed. Um, and so, um, you know, all of these little nuggets, um, there were some things we knew for our first customer and some things we did not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and so the, the, to re, uh, to acquire your first customer, you hired um, someone to help you with sales. And now that brings us to the next question. Uh, how did you find, and uh, I, I don't know if you're still in that stage, um, seeking funding, it's very challenging. Uh, do you have any tips or tricks to convince people and when you are especially like um seeking like more funding to grow your platform to grow your app um any any lessons there from there yes and of course uh you know i could spend hours and hours uh talking to other founders and other interested folks about my experiences uh, but if i were to you know sum it all um i would say um uh investment or getting money um, for investment is also a very, you know, time consuming process. So as a founder, you have to decide how much time do you want to be able to give, because you still have to develop your technology, you still have to sell. Um, and there's always the chicken and the egg problem, which is, mm -hmm. you know, you got to sell enough, and you got to have enough customers before you go to the investor. So um, what benefited me was actually doing some of the accelerator programs, um, working with different groups uh, who essentially offered lessons on, you know, how would you pitch to an investor, how to create a pitch deck, um, how to make sure you address, um, you know, your value story, uh, what are the different, um, you know, um, aspects uh, that are needed that an investor is looking for. So it was very important to understand and put yourself in the shoes of the investor saying, why would I put an X amount of million in your company? Um, and that learning, frankly speaking, doesn't come um, on day one. And it doesn't come you know, on day 365 either. Um, it comes, it takes time. Um, it, takes, um, it takes a lot of calls and a lot of meetings um, and a lot of pitching, right? It could be you know, pitching multiple times um, 
and every time i remember um, we had so many different versions of our deck we kept on updating we kept on making changes to it because hey as soon as we got our first customer oh let's make sure we put it in our investor deck hey uh, as soon as we signed our first partnership let's make sure we add that right and then as your pipeline grows you want to make sure you update it and so i don't even know how many versions of our deck our pitch deck that we worked on so nothing stays consistent but you always grow and you always learn so i used a lot of these accelerator programs um to simply pitch you know i would get 2 minutes to pitch i would get 20 seconds to pitch and i took all of those opportunities to learn um how to do that piece and so once you've been able to do that piece then it builds that confidence and then i would say um once you start building and getting your customers and you're in the revenue generation phase and you're scaling up there is a different level of maturity that comes within you mm-hmm. um because now you're talking you know you're talking business you're talking money and it somewhat eases your path to also talk to investors because at first you were in that idea phase where wow this is going to be the coolest product that i've ever built but when you start doing the business and when you start your um creating your you know pnl sheet and your uh, your arr understanding you know what your revenues are going to be in two years and three years your model to me that is where your you know you're heading up and you're understanding those pieces and that makes you much more comfortable to ask for an investment raise so i would say that you know in the initial months um i was you know not well informed or i was still learning the tricks mm-hmm. of doing this piece but as we grew we did actually a crowdfunding raise last year um, oh, wow. and this year um yeah this year um we are obviously doing our second seed round as well oh wow and so it was important that um you know everything was new to us in the beginning but as we learned uh, we kind of matured and uh, now when i speak to investors uh, you know i try to talk in their language because i know what they are looking for or i try to ask the right questions and again i'm still learning but it's very useful when you try to put yourself in the shoes of the investor and it doesn't come initially it comes in later on stages as you are maturing your product as you are out there so my usual advice um, you know to to founders is uh, to give some time um, yes the pitching is important learning how to do those pieces is important but when you are in the in the revenue generating phase and when you're scaling up and you have customers you will see that your confidence and your maturity to talk to those investors evolves um and it makes you much more confident and then of course once you have that type of funding you know when you get into series a or further then that maturity just keeps on increasing because you know wow. more than what you did before that that's very inspiring i think it's just like raising money is just like any other uh, skill right it's just like sales it's just like creating product it's just like acquiring your first customer it's like it's it's another skill that you learn and you become better at doing over time 
Yes, yes. And it's not, you know, I don't think it's written in a book. I wish, you know, <laughs> it, 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 it isn't written in a book, uh, but you learn it from your experience uh, and you also make mistakes, right? Uh, right? So you learn it from your mistakes, which is actually very important. <laughs> I agree. So. I agree. <laughs> and what inspires you more about your story, like um, as a female founder and a mother, like what challenges you faced because like you are taking care of your family and you're trying to create your company and build your company and trying to raise money. Uh, what were like the biggest hurdles that you had to overcome to be where you are today? Yes, that's a great question. And thank you for asking that question. Um, uh, it's something that is so important, um, you know, as you, um, as you prepare your mind, you know, uh, that you are going to do this, you need a lot of support, right? Um, you need your immediate family, um, you need your network, everybody has to chime in, right? There's some input that you will need, there's some support you will need from them, whether they are closely involved with your product or not. So for me, I'm very thankful um, uh, for my family, Um because, you know, they've helped uh, me support, given me the support that I need uh, to be able to uh, carry out, um, you know, and, and sort of run, run the show. Um, and yes, as a mom, it is not easy because there's obviously days where you want to be with kids. And on the other hand, you know, you have these... Uh, uh, customer calls coming or you have some patient calling you or, you know, you're sort of in that uh, boat where you're trying to juggle. Um, so the art of juggling, I think, is what every mom needs to learn when you're doing a startup uh, because, um, you know, you're kind of invested yourself fully in it, um, but your family is important, your kids are important, and you have to take a break sometimes, right? You have to relax your mind. Uh, just playing a game, you know, with my children, a family game, sometimes is so helpful um, because it just de-stresses you out and tells you that, hey, there's more to it, right? There's more fun to it um, than what you really think. Um, and things will happen, you know, uh, especially in times of when you go downhill, right? And when you when something did not work out and as you expected, the first person you reach out to is your family, right? Um, your husband, um, your kids. And so for me, I have a lot of appreciation for them uh, because they've, and still, you know, as we go through this journey, um, they've been very supportive. Uh, and I'll give you a, a small example. Um, uh, my two daughters, um, they actually helped me uh, pack the boxes um, of devices uh, that we were giving out to patients um, in the first few practices that we worked with. And I did not have any help. I'd not hired an operations person and you know, it was our first few customers. And, and so they all sat with me in the living room and I got the stickers printed. We opened up the boxes. It was a family thing we all did together. Um, and we, you know, we shipped the few boxes out. Um, and I still have pictures of, of, uh, of doing this. Um, but, you know, the bottom line is, you know, support and, uh, uh, and your family helping you. Sweet, sweet. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. 
Um, and my last question is, uh, we can't do an episode without talking about AI. Where do you see AI if there is a, a, a possibility to integrate with the platform and try to use the data to predict more future outcomes? Yes, um, that's an excellent question, uh, Rupen. And um, um, so the good news is that we've been um, thinking of AI all along as we built this product. So I'm super excited about all the possibilities that AI has. Um, I think in some ways, right, we're all using AI. Um, I, I still remember, you know, having started using ChatGPT. Uh, for some of our marketing content. Um, and so I would say at this point, you know, um, we've definitely used some forms of AI to do parts of the business. And, uh, you know, perhaps a year down the road, um, I do see a lot of uh, uh, changes coming um, as we transition from, you know, uh, replacing some of the work that has been done uh, within our system. So for example, alert generation or anything, you know, handling patient queries and things like that. Of course, there are already remote assistants and, um, you know, you can even get a remote admin <laughs> um, and things like that with AI. So I'm pretty positive, you know, if it is used in the right way, uh, I think there will be many more opportunities there. What I'm super excited about is all the data that we have um, so we are into respiratory care. So a lot of lung function aspects that are measured um, could use AI in order to help with some sort of detection uh, of, um, you know, exacerbations, flare-ups. Um, and we really haven't done all this work. We have all the data. But I'm super excited about collaborating, working uh, with uh, either companies or academic institutions who want to use this and then uh, create some sort of a model um, for, you know, mild, moderate and uh, severe patients uh, to see if we can enhance um, the detection capabilities rather than having, you know, sort of the care team approach. Could we have some of it done by AI? And that brings us to the end. Thank you so much. My any last words, if you're going to tell, what would you tell yourself five years ago? Like, what would you tell your younger self? What would I tell to my younger self five years ago? Um, I guess if I had to, um, if I had to sum it up, uh, you know, I think it's important that. Uh, people do what they would like to do in their lives. And if you get an opportunity, um, you know, to be an entrepreneur, um, and if you have the support of your family, uh, then go do it. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's exciting. It's challenging. It helps you, you know, uh, walk on a road and then you know, maybe you meet with an accident or you fall down, but then you learn how to get up. And that is the beauty of running a startup. So my my suggestion to everyone is go do it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here today. Sounds great. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was a pleasure talking to you. And thank you for inviting me to the podcast.